Next Sunday, Christians from around the world will gather to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But before there was a resurrection, there was a crucifixion. Before there was a crown, there was a cross. And the cross is found throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, we get the first glimpse of it in the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve had sinned against the Lord, the Bible says that God sacrificed a lamb by which he clothed them. And that was a foreshadow of the crucifixion and the provision of Jesus that was to come. We also see the cross even in Egypt. You remember the story of the enslavement of the Hebrew people. They began because of the harshness of their taskmasters to cry out to God, asking for God to deliver them. And so the Lord raised up Moses, saying, Moses, I want you to, to lead my people to freedom. Because Pharaoh did not respond, the Lord began to send plagues, and the last plague he sent was the death of the firstborn. And as God said, I'm going to take the lives of all the firstborn, the animals, the children, and so forth. He then said to the Hebrew people, but if you will take a lamb, a lamb that is not spotted, a lamb that is without blemish, and sacrifice that lamb, then take the blood and put on the doorpost. And when the death angel sees the blood, he will pass over you. And that, too, was a foreshadow of the provision of Jesus, that he would shed his blood by which we are saved. We see the cross in prophecy. In the Old Testament, the common means of execution was by stoning. In fact, the crucifixion was a thousand years into the future. And yet the prophet looked into the future and saw the crucifixion of Christ. In Psalm 22:16, they pierced my hands and my feet. In Psalm 22:18, and for my clothing they cast lots. In Psalm 69:21, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. R.G. Lee said his death, prearranged, prophesied, and provided by God, was no afterthought. Jesus was born with the shadow of the cross upon him, with the shadow of the cross upon his heart. He learned to walk, he learned to talk, and he learned to walk, to work. From his earliest moment upon this earth, it was his burden by day, his pallet by night. Today we remind ourselves of the cross. Take your Bibles, please. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 19, beginning in verse number 17. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. And Pilate wrote an inscription also and put it on the cross. And it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. 
Therefore, this inscription many of the Jews read for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. As we look at the cross, we begin with the division of the cross, because the cross has always been a point of division. It has always been a place of separation. Even our calendar is divided at the cross. Today is 2009. 2009 meaning what? It means there have been 2009 years since Jesus died. It divides our calendar. And as we look at the cross, it also divides the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. For instance, in the Old Covenant, how was man made right with God? What did man have to do to have relationship and fellowship with God? Well, under the Old Covenant, that was provided by sacrifices, the sacrifices that were offered. And the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 11, And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices. So the Bible says that in the Old Covenant, the way that man was made right with God was through the sacrifices, the blood sacrifices that were, that were provided. You see the extent, the enormity of those sacrifices when the Hebrews dedicated the temple. And the Bible says in First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 21, And on the next day they made sacrifices to the Lord and offered burnt offerings to the Lord. One thousand bulls, one thousand rams, and one thousand lambs with their libations and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. So then under the Old Covenant, the Bible says that, that they offered sacrifices for the sins of man. So it was a covenant of sacrifice, and it was also a covenant of law. The Bible says in Galatians 3.23, But before faith came... We were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. So there was the old covenant, a covenant of sacrifices. Sacrifices were offered and the law. Man was to keep the law. But at the cross, a new covenant was established. And the Bible says that in that new covenant... Not under sacrifices of animals, not under keeping the law, but under this new covenant, the blood of Jesus was shed. And the scripture says that we now put our faith in him. That is the new covenant. So in Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, for if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the Scripture has shut up all men under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So how then are we made right with God? Well, before the cross, there was an old covenant. It was a covenant of sacrifice. It was a covenant of the law. 
But when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that he became the sacrifice, shedding his blood for mankind. And now then we are made right as we put our faith in him. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So under the new covenant, the Bible says that we are not made right with God by our works, not by the sacrifices we offer, not by our attempts to keep the law. But the Bible says that we are made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ who shed his blood that we might be forgiven of our sin. So at the cross there is a separation, a division, a a division between the old covenant and the new covenant. Now then we are under the new covenant by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. There was also a division of the saved and the lost. The scripture speaks metaphorically of that division. For instance, when it speaks of the sheep and goats. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 32, And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So in that metaphor that is given, just as the shepherd takes the sheep and puts on one side, takes the goats and puts on the other side, the Bible says that God will also separate those who are saved and those who are lost. We see that also concerning the wheat and the tares. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 30, And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. So there is another separation that is illustrated for us through the wheat and the tares. Just as the farmer takes the wheat, puts it in the barn, and burns the tares, he says that God also separates those who have been saved and those who have not. We see it in the flood. You know the story of Noah and the flood? The Lord said to Noah that I am going to send judgment. I'm going to send a flood. When Noah believed what God said, And the scripture says that in response to what God said, Noah began to build an ark. And he began to warn the people about the flood that was to come. But they paid no attention to the warning. And on the day that the flood came, the scripture says that Noah and his family were safe in the ark, but the world perished. So there was a separation. There was a separation between those who believed and those who did not believe. We also see it in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was a man who believed in God. The rich man was a man not committed to God. And the Bible says that that Lazarus died and he went to paradise. And the rich man died and he went to hell. So there's a separation. Folks, what I want you to see is that there there is a division at the cross. The cross has always been a point of division, a place of division. It divides the old covenant and the new covenant. It divides the saved and the lost according to response. And then there's the decision of the cross. The cross is a place of division, but it is also a place of decision. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. The truth is, when we talk about the cross of Jesus, there are many who see it as foolishness. And they are not going to enter in to such foolishness. Foolishness. 
that a man would die on the cross and somehow as a result of his death that I would live? Does that make sense? That's foolishness. That a man would shed his blood and as a result of his shed blood I could be forgiven of my sin? That's foolishness. You see, that's what the religionist believes. The the religionist believes that my religion makes me right with God. That by my traditions, by my religion, then I am made right with God. And so the scripture says in Matthew 27, 20, but the chief priest and the elders, that was the religionist. The chief priest and the elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. In other words, the person who is committed to religion has no need of Jesus. Why do I need Jesus? Why do I need his sacrifice? Why is his death important to me? If if I keep my religious traditions, if I am sincere in whatever my religious beliefs happen to be, my religious doctrines, then that makes me right with God. That's the reason we hear people all the time say that it makes no difference what a person believes as long as they're sincere. It matters not how much error, as long as they are sincere. See, that's the religionist. The religionist sees the the crucifixion of Christ as being foolishness. That's also true with the materialist. The materialist is not going to make a commitment of his life to Jesus because they're more interested in this world. Paul said that of Demas. He said, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Demas was one of Paul's uh, fellow ministers, disciples. But Paul says, because he loved this present world, he has deserted me. He was a materialist. I I believe that uh, Judas was as well. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, about $18, the price of a slave at that time. You know, there are times when I think that Judas might have been the only disciple who really believed what Jesus was saying. Jesus told them that he was going to die. You remember Peter's response and some of the other disciples' response, but I think that Judas really believed it. And it could be that Judas was saying, well, you know, he's going to die. I might as well get what I can. And so he betrayed him. He sold him for 30 pieces of silver. But folks, that's the materialist. You see, whenever we are motivated by materialism, then we really don't want Jesus because he is going to change our life. Well, the truth is most people don't really want to reject Jesus. What they really want to do is to remain neutral concerning Jesus. And that's that's the reason that people say, well, you know, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a good man. He was a prophet. They say all these flattering things about Jesus. But when it comes to his deity and his sacrifice and so forth, then they don't want to have anything to do with that. What we really want to do sometimes is simply to remain neutral. I don't want to get involved. And that was Pilate's wife. In fact, when Jesus was standing before Pilate during the trial, Pilate's wife sent him a message in Matthew 27:19. And while he, speaking of Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have, it, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. So have nothing to do with that righteous man. Be neutral concerning him. Don't get involved in this messy affair. Just take a position of neutrality. Pilate tried to do that. 
Matthew 27:24 and when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing but rather that a riot was starting he took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude saying I am innocent of this man's blood see to that yourselves he tried to take a position of neutrality you know the story how he washed his hands in fact that was the Jewish washing ceremony probably when a basin of water was brought and he dipped his hands in the water and he held his hands up while the water ran down off his elbows and he looked at his hands as if to say I see my hands that they are clean there's no blood on them and then he dipped them in the basin again and held them up again and turned them to the crowd to say you see that my hands have no blood on them I'm innocent of this man's blood but it was a position of neutrality he just didn't want to be involved the roman soldiers who crucified him i don't think that they were necessarily hateful or aggravated at jesus i think they saw themselves simply as fulfilling their duty they were soldiers and they were doing what they do as soldiers they spat upon jesus they plucked his beard they slapped his face they put a crown of thorns on his head they mocked him they did those things but there was nothing personal about it they were in a neutral position they were just doing what they were supposed to do they were soldiers and so there was nothing personal you see folks here's the thing is that some of you want to be neutral concerning the cross of Christ it's not that you want to reject Jesus it's not that you have any hard feelings toward Jesus you just don't want to be involved and so you want to take a position of neutrality but let me say to you that the cross requires a decision a decision always has to be made concerning the cross Jesus said in Matthew 12:30 he who is not with me is against me and so what Jesus is saying is that if you take a position of not taking a position then you've taken a position because if you are not with me he says then automatically you are against me there were three crosses at Calvary the bible says there was the cross of redemption which was the middle cross on which Jesus died And in Hebrews 2:9 it says but we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels namely Jesus because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone Now on that middle cross was Jesus on the cross of redemption that he might taste death for everyone there's no one excluded there's no one left out that he might taste death for everyone. So there on the middle cross we see the cross of redemption that Jesus died to redeem. On one side of Jesus there was the cross of rejection. And the Bible says in Luke 23:39 and one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him saying are you not the Christ save yourself and us. You say that you are the Messiah, you say that you are the Christ. 
You don't look like it. You're dying the same death that we're dying. If you are truly the Christ, then come down off the cross. If you are truly the Christ, save yourself and us. And so we see the cross of rejection, but then on the other side is the cross of reception. Now, the other criminal joined in at first in rejecting and abusing and mocking Jesus. But then in Luke 23:42, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So on Calvary, there were three crosses. There was a cross of redemption. That was Jesus paying for our sin. On one side, there was the cross of rejection. If you're the Christ, come down, save yourself and us. And on the other side was the cross of reception. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, folks, the, the, the cross demands decision, requires decision. And you can accept or you can reject, but you cannot remain neutral. That's not allowed. Then there's the destination of the cross. And our decision concerning the cross determines our destination. If we reject, the Bible says the destination is torture. Now, we, we have one of the criminals there who rejected Jesus, and because he rejected Jesus, he was rejected by Jesus. It was a decision that he made, and he was rejected by Jesus. There's a story in the New Testament about Lazarus and the rich man. I've read that story so many times, and you know there's not anything negative about the rich man in the story. You know the story, but there's not anything negative said about him. I, I really believe that he was probably a good man, he was probably a respected citizen, all of those things. But I think he was just too busy for spiritual things. He was just so caught up in what he was doing that he was too busy, and so he neglected spiritual things. And the Bible says in Luke 16:24 that he died and went into eternal torture, that he died and went to hell. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. He rejected Jesus, and probably it was a position of neutrality, at least in my mind. He just didn't get involved. He just didn't do anything. And the Bible says that he went to a place of torment. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you reject Jesus, if you reject his sacrifice on the cross, and you can. But if you do, you need to understand that the destiny that you have chosen is hell. That is the destiny. For those who receive him, their destination is paradise. Jesus said to the repentant criminal, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. One of those criminals turned to Jesus after at first abusing him, but then he turned to Jesus and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Today you'll be with me in paradise. What happened at the cross? Well, first of all, Christ was crucified. He died for our sins. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, and which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. See, what happened at the cross when Jesus died, the Bible says that all of my sins and all of your sins were placed on the cross. 
And Jesus paid for our sins. So what happened at the cross? Christ was crucified. The law was satisfied. Jesus met the demands of the law. The Bible says in Luke 24, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What happened at the cross? The law was satisfied. Jesus fulfilled the conditions of the law. So in the old covenant, man was under the law that he could not keep. And the Bible says that at the cross, Jesus fulfilled the law. So Christ was crucified, the law was satisfied, and God was glorified because he kept his promise. In Isaiah 53:10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. And man was justified. By the sacrifice of Jesus, believers are justified. The Bible says in Romans 3:28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So the destination of the cross. You see, we have to come to the cross, and when we do, we make a decision as to whether or not we receive him or reject him. And the Bible says the decision that we make determines our destiny. Reject him is torment. Receive him is paradise. Let me conclude by reading verse number 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. I have been many times to what is called Gordon's Calvary because he was the, um, the person who found the place believed to be where Jesus was crucified. And many times I've been there and looked at that hill or that cliff that's there that looks like a skull. And I thought of this verse so many times with Jesus dying on the cross and crying out to Telestai. Finished. Finished. What was finished? The lavishness of his love. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was crucified publicly? To publicly suffer the abuse that he did? Would it not have been just as effective had he died privately? Because we're, shed by, uh, we're, we're saved by his sacrifice. Yeah, you see, he died publicly as a testimony of how much he loves you. He was willing to say to everybody, I love you. To tell us die. The lavishness of his love. The crowning of Christ in verse number 19. Pilate wrote an inscription also and put it on the cross, and it was written, Jesus, the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Folks, he, he did not die because he claimed to be king. He died because he was king. He had fulfilled all the promises concerning the Messiah. The Telestine. The founding of family in verse number 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own household. I believe that that was the establishment of the family of God through the cross. John, here's your mama. 
Mom, here's your son. And today, here we are, part of the family of God. To tell us that he provided for the family. I used to love to hear R.G. Lee preach. I didn't know until I moved here that R.G. Lee was in South Carolina. He was known as the Prince of Preachers. I heard him preach once. I heard him preach many times. I heard him tell this story once. But he told about when he had gone to Israel for the first time. He was there at Gordon's Calvary, deep in thought about Jesus dying. He said the guide came to him and said, uh, Dr. Lee, I understand this is the first time you've been to Calvary. He said, no, I've been here before. He said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. He said, I, I was told that you had never been before. He said, no, I, he said I was here 2,000 years ago. He said, what do, you, what do you mean you were here 2,000 years ago? He said, well, I was here with you because it was my sins and your sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. My friend, the Lord Jesus died on the cross because he loves you. And he will forgive you of every sin if you receive him. What will you do with Jesus? Our gracious Father in God, today we come to ponder, to deliberate about our relationship to Jesus. Father, I know there are some who will reject. I know there are some, perhaps more, who will want to take a position of neutrality. But Lord, I pray today that your Holy Spirit will draw people to Jesus, that they might be saved, that they might be forgiven, that they might become a child of God. I pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. If you're without Christ today, will you commit your life to it? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. Stand with me, please. As we stand together, the choir sings as they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.